yesterday, and uh, just uh, just pray that the comfort of the Lord uh, would work in their lives. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to Galatians chapter number five. We're going to close out Galatians uh, chapter five today, and talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm excited about that. Now, early 1900s, it was said that there was a newspaper article that was published in a national uh, national edition that asked one question to its readers in an editorial. It said, "What's wrong with the world what's wrong with the world and uh, a christian apologist by the name of gk chesterton he wrote in and just simply uh, gave him a one sentence answer and he said uh, dear sirs in response to your inquiry about what is wrong with the world i am sincerely gk chesterton now i don't think that too many people nowadays have that same thought especially if you get onto social media if we ask what's the problem with the world today well politicians would be part of it and the news media would be part of it that we would point at and liberals would point at conservatives and atheists would point at christians and people who say it you should be tolerant of everyone or intolerant of those that aren't tolerant of everyone it's 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 crazy but the idea is that most people nowadays don't ever look inside when we ask the question what's wrong with the world they're always looking to point to someone or something else and as we close out Galatians chapter 5, we're going to see that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is actually going to point out exactly what G.K. Chesterton said 100 years ago, but he's going to point it out centuries and centuries earlier. He's going to say, you want to know what's wrong with the world? Just look in the mirror. But he's going to do it with grace. He's going to say it with, with great grace. If you've been with us these last few weeks, you may remember the theme of Galatians 5 has been freedom. Like you've been saved, you've been set free, but, but Paul was confronting the idea that you've been set free from idolatry and false worship just to enter into this bondage of the law and legalism. No, you've been set free to follow Jesus. Now, you haven't been set free to just go wherever you want. You're not given a license to sin, but you're also not becoming legalistic in, in the way that you have to behave. Paul's saying, no, you, what you need to understand is you've been set free to follow the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is going to help you say no to ungodliness and yes to a life of holiness. And Paul says you, you've been set free to, to follow Jesus. And he's the one who set you free. So it makes sense to, to follow him. And as you follow Jesus, he's going to bring opportunities for you to live as Jesus lived. See, the idea of good works is so important, but we cannot get good works ahead of justification. We're not, we're not justified because of what we do but when we realize our faith in Christ and what he's done does bring justification, boy, then we, we get on to following Christ and doing good works. But it's important, and we said this last week, your good works don't result in a better standing with God. Because you do something good doesn't mean all of a sudden you and God are on better terms, but your good works do reveal a better understanding of God that he has called, he has brought you, set you free to do good works 
Yet in verse 14, as, as we looked at last week, when, when Paul was talking a little bit about where he said, he said, if you want to wrap up the whole law, just love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, but, but there's so many more laws than just loving your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's like, yes, just Jesus, our faith in Jesus, we are credited with his righteousness. So we don't have to accomplish all these laws. We simply have one. We love our neighbor. It was beautiful last week, truly beautiful to watch the church do just that. Jimmy didn't know I was going to call him up. He, he and I had talked and, and I asked if I could share his needs with the church. But I told him on the phone last Saturday, I said, Jimmy, all I'm doing, I'm asking you if I can share your need with the church. Because three times the Lord said, just let the church be the church. And all I wanted to do was be obedient to that. And he said, well, I'm not going to stand in the way of you doing what God's telling you to do. But if you were here last week, you know, at the end of the service, I simply said, I don't even know. I don't know what this means. I just that God said, let the church be the church. And man, it was beautiful to see. See, before the prayer even ended, that people were moving to step to help a brother. To know that 20 minutes after the service, there were still people waiting to talk and share and love with Jimmy. To know that the day after on Sunday, there were those who were watching online and showed up at the office to drop off something for Jimmy because they weren't able to be here at that time, but they know they're a part of this church. To get a phone call from a man in this church who, who simply said, hey, I know of an opening. I know of, I know of a way that if he's looking for some other employment opportunities, I know. I mean, I just, it was so cool for everyone to have the freedom to just simply serve God, follow the Spirit however he led. My guess is there were kids up here who gave a dollar or two because that's all they could afford, but like, doesn't that make you excited that people are willing to just respond with however the Lord says? That's, that's what it's all about. When we answer in obedience to Christ, we're showing, we understand what we've been saved for. Yes, we've been saved from hell. Well, we won't spend eternity suffering separation from God, right? But we can't forget we're not saved from, but we're saved to. We're saved for what God has for us. And our love for God is expressed, not just by when we gather on a Sunday morning like this and we sing holy, holy, holy. Yes, we should. Yes, we should sing holy. He is holy, holy, holy. But that was the whole confrontation that Paul was addressing in the book of Galatians. It's not these religious acts that you do that make you right with God. It's the obedience that we show in response to God making us right with him through Jesus. And we then can display our love for a God we cannot see through acts of love to neighbors that we can see. We don't act out of guilt. We don't act out of comparison to, well, what did you give and what did you do? No, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Freedom. This past week on Monday, and, and I, I was, shared some of this in an email to the church, but 
This past Monday, I was called by a man named Jeremy, and I think if you were here over the summer, you got to meet Jeremy a couple of times. He was a gentleman that Joe Fogle and I met just on the side of the road in Bentonville. Joe's truck broke down, and we got to share the good news with, with Jeremy. And, and he came to church the next day, just, just, just showed up. And, and, and he came many times over the summer, and his mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer on July 31st. He said, my mom just got done turning over a half acre in her garden. She went to the doctor thinking she had stomach issues. It was pancreatic cancer. And she died on Monday. She didn't even make it four months. He called me on Monday and just said, I know you're busy, Pastor. I know you are, but is there any way you could come to the hospital? And I said, I'll drop it, whatever you need. So I took off and his mom hadn't passed yet. She, he, he wanted me to be up there with her and, and pray with her and with the family. And I took off and, and I was about 45 minutes away and he texted me and he said, you could turn around, Pastor. She didn't make it. And I said, I'm, the last thing I'm gonna do is turn around now. I kept driving and got to the, to the room. I met Jeremy's five sisters. They were all there and nieces and nephews were, were there in the room and got to share some scripture with them and try to encourage their hearts and bring some comfort. And then I asked before I left if I could just, just pray with all of them. And, and I stood at the foot of his mother's bed. Her name was Brenda. And I stood at Brenda's. And I never got to actually meet Brenda, but I heard, heard many things about her from Jeremy. And I stood there and I put my arm around Jeremy as we began to pray. And, and it was in the middle of my prayer where the Lord, all of a sudden, it was just like, hey. I knew this was going to happen. You think it was a chance meeting on the side of the road back there in June? I knew I wanted you to be here with him on this day. And man, I got emotional. I wasn't emotional because of, because of what, was, what had taken place in Jeremy's life and his lo- losing of his mom, although I, I, I'm, I'm sorry and I was suffering with him, but all of a sudden I became emotional because I realized God had set this up perfectly. He knew this man who did not know the Lord. And praise the Lord, there was, it was about four or five Sundays after Jeremy started coming. I was in, in, this, in the church all by myself and I thought the doors had been locked and, and all of a sudden I heard somebody in the hallway going, hello, hello. And I was just kind of afraid to stick my head out the door. You never know who's coming after a sermon, you know. Uh, and I, I said, it's Jeremy. And man, tears rolling down his face. And I said, what's wrong? He said, I don't know. I'm out in my car. I want to go home, but I can't go home. I'm just sitting out there crying. And he's like, I finally just looked up and said, Lord, I give up. And I'm like, Jeremy, that is the best news ever. It's like when we're willing to surrender, ha, we turn to Christ knowing we can't do it on our own anymore. And man, just began to see some joy in his life. And as I was standing there praying with him, all of a sudden, it's like, 
Don't you understand? It wasn't about you and it wasn't about Joe Fogel. It was about a church. It was about a family that was going to be able to include him and invite him into, into their community and would be able to show the love of Christ in a very real way. And Jimmy, like you, you actually preached that sermon for me this morning when you said, God knew one day that you would need this. Amen to that. And we have an opportunity, church, to continue to display our love for God, not just by singing, not just by gathering, although we should do these things, they're commanded, but by going out and living and loving our neighbors. So last week we closed with Galatians chapter 5, verses 16, and eight, 16 through 18. And I'm not going to share much on these. I just want to read through them once again so we can, we can understand where we're headed today with the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says in, in Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, desi- for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And these verses are important because you understand who Paul's writing to. He's writing to first century Christians who didn't know what the Spirit of God was all about. Right? You've got to understand, we've had two centuries, sorry, 2,000 years worth of trying to understand the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. He's writing the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. All many of these people understood of religion was you do, 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 do. And Paul's writing them to say, now listen, you have something that's brand new called the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is sent to those who believe in Jesus after or those that said after those who believe in Jesus realize and have placed their trust in him as the Messiah, right? And now the spirit that lives in you follow the spirit. You're not under the law. The law places you under a curse. The spirit allows you to live in freedom. But I'm going to tell you something inside of you. It's inside of you. There's this battle. The flesh of who you are is going to fight really hard against the spirit. That's why we had the law in the first place. The law was set. The law was a guardian. The law was a tutor. The law was to keep you in place until the Christ came. And once the Christ came, now you're no longer under the law. Now you follow who the Christ sends to you. The spirit. You're no longer under the law. But this goes back to that thought of G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. You know why? Because I let my flesh lead. It, it's kind of like this. You know, uh, um, I'm sure most of you don't have this issue. Me, I want to I lose weight and I want to get fit and I want to be healthy. Have, that's a long-term desire that I have. And then I walk into the kitchen after Trinity and Jamie have, have spent like hours making cookies and they're sitting out on the counter. And like now there's this battle raging within me. I want, I want to look fit. I want to be healthy. I want to lose weight. But do I want a cookie? Oh. And I know you're asking, well, pastor, which one wins? 
And all I have to do is say is, just look at me. Who do you think wins, right? I mean, come on. Does this look like, look like a guy that passes up many cookies? Uh, no. It's, it, but it, it's constant. Like, we have this long-term goal as followers of Jesus to please God. But Paul's saying, but inside of you, there's this flesh that's going to battle and fight. And they're contrary to one another. And so then you're like, how do I know? Like, how do I know if I'm following the flesh? Or how do I know if I'm following the spirit? And Paul's like, and I'm going to make it really easy for you to know if you're following the flesh or if you're following the spirit. So look at verse 19. Because he gives them this list that says, well, this is what you're going to do when you follow the flesh. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. I'm going to pause here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I want you to understand this. Sexual immorality is any kind of physical intimacy between, between unmarried people. And impurity is like an unnatural sexual practice. Debauchery is uncontrolled sexuality. And so, so you notice how Paul groups it. There's a, or the translator groups, translators group it. There's a semicolon after that. So, so he said, first of all, the acts of the flesh are this. There's sexuality involved. And then there's false worship. He talks about idolatry and witchcraft. And then he puts that semicolon there. And idolatry is worshiping anything in creation more than the creator. Witchcraft, it, it could mean that you're trying to manipulate circumstances rather than just simply trusting God for what he's allowed into your life. Then he's got this list of destructive attitudes, but then the destructive attitudes are followed by the results of those destructive attitudes. He talks about hatred and discord and jealousy. Those are inner workings in us, and all self-seeking, self-promoting. And then he says, and they're going to result in fits of rage and selfish ambition, divisions or dissensions, factions, like warring factions, warring parties, and, and envy. Yeah, you want to know what the flesh does? The flesh makes it all about you. And when it, you don't get what you want, it causes a lot of division. He's going to say drunkenness and orgies, uncontrolled addictions. We, we understand what drunkenness is. An orgy would be, would be a drunken party that makes its way out onto the streets. And it's, it's, a, it's an uncontrolled party. Is what it's all about. But when you look at this list that Paul writes, it's like, now Paul doesn't go like, now here, let me, let me tell you. So step one is this, and then these things are bad, and then these things are badder, and then here's the baddest. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He just simply says, look, you want to know what it's like when you live by the flesh? Here's what it is. And you may say, well, I'm, I'm not sexually immoral, and, and I'm not drunken and orgies, but yeah, but right in the middle of that is jealousy hatred but there's, there's not a person in here that can say oh, I've gone a week without that that's that battle between us when, when I think of sexuality and the issues that we have I, I, I want to make sure that this is, this is more men especially men but this is more than just being sexually immoral it's thinking right Jesus, Jesus addressed that he said, when a man looks on a woman with lust, committed adultery in his heart. When we think about false worship, I guess not just like an idol that's in our home. In fact, most of our money, most of our money says in God we trust, but the truth is we trust in the money more than we trust in the God. That it says in God we trust. 
And we know that's true because look at what happens when, when we start to get financially unstable. We go crazy. God didn't step off the throne. You lost your job, God's still in control. We see people off buildings and committing suicide when their, when their fortunes are gone because it's, it's not in God we trust. It's I'm, my trust is in the money that says in God we trust. Destructive attitudes, man, such a part of our lives. I remember reading a book years ago called When Sinners Say I Do. It was more of a study on my wife, but um, no, I'm just kidding. I can say that because she's in the nursery. Or uh, where is she? Yeah, she's Oh, she's praying. That's right. Oops, I shouldn't be doing that. Uh, she's actually praying for us. Now. I don't, I don't. But when it, it says, when sinners say I do, and, it, and this, this is what he said. I, I would love for all of you who are married or in relationships, bless you. What if you abandoned the idea? God, man, you got to catch this. What if, you, what if you abandoned the idea that the problems and weaknesses in your marriage are caused by a lack of information, dedication, or communication? What if you saw your problem as they truly are, caused by a war within your heart? If a husband or wife walks in the flesh, not the spirit, there will be devastating results. Both people must deal with their own hearts if they want to live in harmony. Harmony. Harmony is what we want, but what the flesh brings is division. We, of course, we have this drunkenness. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on wine. It's interesting. He says, don't get drunk on wine because it leads to debauchery, which are both up here. But he's, he's saying don't get drunk with wine because when you're drunk with wine, you can't be led by the Spirit. That's the whole problem with drunkenness. When you're drunk, you can't follow the Spirit because you've already followed the intoxicating spirits. So you can't follow the Holy Spirit anymore. Paul, Paul says, if you, if you want to know what it's like, if you want to know if that battle within you, if the flesh is winning, it's a, it's a life like this. But then he closes and he says, I warn you, look at the, the, just the very end of these verses, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul's not saying, let me make this very clear, he's not saying the people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. We're all fallen people. What he's saying is, if you live like this, if this becomes a pattern of your life and you live in unrepentant sin, it is a display. You are not following the Spirit of God. And if you're not following the Spirit of God, you probably don't have the Spirit of God in you. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you haven't recognized Jesus as your Lord. If you've not recognized Jesus as your Lord, you are not going to be in the kingdom of God. So this isn't like, hey, I've done some of this. Oh, no, I'm not. No, it's not, it's not saying that. It's saying that we don't want to live like this. And then Paul gives us this comparative list, the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Sorry, let me put that up. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such there is no law. Now, I'm going to keep reading the next two verses just to close out the chapter, or the last three verses, and then I'm going to come back to the fruit of the Spirit. He says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Notice what he says. There's that fight again. You've crucified the flesh. If you belong to Jesus, you've crucified the flesh. That should immediately send us back to what Paul said a few chapters earlier, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, but I don't live. I don't live what Christ lives in me. That sh it should bless you. It should send us right back there. 
Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, this is real important, but it's just going to bleed over into next week. But Paul, when he says, don't become conceited, he's saying, don't, don't try to think you're better than someone as you live by the Spirit and they try to live by the Spirit. But he's also saying, don't, don't envy thinking, well, I'm not as good as that person as they live by the Spirit and I try to live by He's saying, no, don't, don't put yourself on different planes here. And that's going to roll right into what he's going to say in Galatians chapter 6 next week, right? But let's just go back to the fruit of the Spirit quickly. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things, there is no law. So just a few brief things about the fruit of the Spirit that's very important to me. Number one is this. The fruit of the Spirit is not the result of spiritual action, but of spiritual connection. I think it's real important the way Paul sets this up. He called, he called earlier in verse 19, these are the acts of the flesh but now he's talking about the fruit he doesn't say the acts of the spirit he says the fruit of the spirit see i can act in a sexually immoral way i can act and cause myself to be drunk i cannot force myself to be kind i can act in a kind way but it doesn't mean that i'm a kind person we all know people who act one way in front of a group of people, but yet their true character is something completely different, right? Just, just a temporary show doesn't change who we permanently are. But if we hearken back to John chapter 15, where Jesus at the end of his life has gathered his disciples and he, he brings them in close and he no doubt was probably walking through a vineyard and he says, I am the true vine. Now, why does he say I'm the true vine? Because Israel was called the vine in the Old Testament. Israel was the vine of God, but it's already been declared you are a wild vine. I planted you. I gave you everything that you needed. Isaiah 6 talks about this, but you grew up and produced wild grapes. Now, Jesus is talking to his Jewish disciples who it's already been said Israel was a wild grapevine. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, or if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But, apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is clearly teaching his disciples here about the fruit of the vine, that we don't produce fruit unless we're connected to Jesus. The branch, if we're the branch, the branch doesn't produce fruit. The branch holds the fruit. Say, no, that's not true. Cut off the branch set it on its own and see how much fruit is produced. We're the branches and we don't produce the fruit. We, we can't look at these, these, these fruit of the Spirit and say, I'm going to make this happen in my life. It's not a spiritual action. It is a spiritual connection. If I want to be kind, I don't act kind. 
If I want to be kind, I stay connected to the source of kindness, who is Jesus. I deeply put my roots into Jesus, and the fruit of kindness appears. So the fruit of the Spirit is not the result of a spiritual action, but of a spiritual connection. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is not separate characteristics, but the unified character of Jesus. Notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. And so often, like, sometimes we, we think of, like, you know, having all these different types of fruits, and these are the different fruits of the Spirit. But, but I, don't think that's, I don't think that's true. I think what we're seeing is these fruits of the Spirit, together they show us the singular character of Jesus. This is who Jesus is. And sanctification in our lives means we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And how do we know if we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus? Well, we look to see if these fruit are actually taking place in our life, but it's not our work. It's the spirit that is causing these fruit to grow. And when people can see you and see your actions they don't say necessarily your actions remind me of jesus but you remind me of jesus and we we can all go about try to do as many good things as we can but if we go home after being a generous person and we we lack self-control then we're missing that singular character of jesus See, the goal isn't to look at these nine fruit of the Spirit and say, well, I, I've got this one, but I don't have that one, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all my effort on this one that I don't have. For those of you that go to the gym regularly, this phrase would be familiar to you. As you can tell, I go to the gym regularly, so this phrase will be very familiar to me. Um, don't skip leg day. How many of you have ever don't skip leg day? Oh, look at that. Three people. Sorry. Okay, good. Shows how many of us go to the gym. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Very good. So what don't skip leg day means is, you know, most people, when we go to the gym, we really worry about this. Because this is what we want people to see. Actually, I don't want you to see that, so that's why I, I wear two layers every, uh, every Sunday. But, I, you know, you, you, you want to work out, you want to lift, you want to do this, because this upper body looks great, but, you know, and it's very easy to say, eh, I'm going to skip leg day. You've got to work the whole person. And what the fruit of the Spirit is, is all about, it's don't try to emphasize one area while ignoring another. That's not the point. We don't look at the fruit and say, I've got this, but I don't have that. I'm going to work on this. We look at our, the fruit of the Spirit and say, I've got this. I don't have that. I'm going to go to Jesus who has them all. And we make that connection with Christ. A, con a consistent, growing relationship with Jesus is going to affect every area of your life. I promise you that. If your desire is just to know Jesus more, you will change in every single area of your life. See, as we look at Jesus' life and how he in invited sinners into his life, those sinners who would send him to the cross, he loved them. We look at how he treated his hard-headed disciples, those who turned on him and, and rushed away from him, and yet he continued to teach them, continued to love them, continued to bring them back to himself. We think of Christ who, who prayed for those who were 
physically nailing his, his hands to the cross. It's like the more we look at Jesus, the more we see the picture of the one that we are called to be like, we start to, as 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold his glory, we become his glory. The more we look at Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. We don't go work out to become like Jesus. We let Jesus work in us. And last, the fruit of the Spirit is not formed because of what we do for God, but because of what we believe about God. I, I know this is a, just the silliest illustration in the world, but if, if you were to ever go up to a tree and you see apples on this tree, but then as you look closer, you would see the apples were actually nailed to the tree. What we would not surmise is, oh, that must be a, a, a wonderfully fruit-bearing, alive apple tree. And we would think that, that that tree is dead and someone actually just put the apples on there to give it the appearance of life. There are many times where we will try to act in ways that show we are following the Spirit of God but it's not our actions that allow fruit to grow within us. It's our inner beliefs about God that allow the fruit to come. You see, the, the fruit of the Spirit is grouped in three different groups. It, it, it deals with your relationship with God and, and, and love, joy, and peace that only come from God. And then it that delves into your relationship with others where you have patience and kindness and goodness. And, and then it closes with with myself like my my own inner characteristics of faithfulness and gentleness and self-control have i mastered my passions but all of these are only formed in me based on what i believe about god think with me remember jesus is our is our perfect pattern in the garden We have John chapter 17, and if you, if you ever read John 17, it is, it is a red-letter chapter. Every word is spoken by Jesus, but it's spoken to the Father. And in that red-letter chapter, Jesus is saying, I know you have loved me with a love from the beginning of time. You have loved me with a perfect love. This is, this is what he knows about his Father. You love me with a perfect, complete, eternal love. Father, I, I don't want to drink that cup. That cup is, is your wrath against sin, and I know when I drink that cup and bring that sin into my life, it's going to cause a separation. I don't want that. You love me with perfect love. I don't want that, but I know since your love is perfect, not my will be done but yours. See, Jesus didn't act. He believed. And that belief led to his action. And the cross, after everyone has abandoned him, after he lifted his eyes to the heavens and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's completely, utterly alone. 
And he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. How, how could you say you, you put yourself into the hands of the one who just forsook you? Ah, because I know him. He loves me. He's good. He cares for me. I can trust him. That's what we're supposed to do. When the, when the apostle Paul writes in, in Galatians 4, I'm, I'm laboring until Christ is formed in you. It's because he wanted the person of Christ to be formed in these Galatian believers. And, and Paul wasn't just teaching them. He was testifying. He's the one who was beaten. He was the one who was whipped and stoned and left for dead and shipwrecked. And yet through it all, he's still writing, trust in him. I want Christ to be formed in you even though trusting in Christ has led me to be forsaken to be imprisoned to be beaten because I know Christ this is what the fruit of the spirit is all about it's when circumstances come into our lives we don't raise a fist to the heavens and say how could you do this oh, we might think it and we might even temporarily allow the flesh to take over and we raise this fist to heaven. This is exactly what David did in the Psalms many times. What are you doing? But the fruit of the Spirit brings us back to what we know about God. He's good. He's loving. He's kind. He's gentle. I can trust him. He's sovereign. He hasn't lost control. He's faithful. He will be with me during this time. He's truthful. He will work all things together for my good and for his glory. And when we suffer, the fruit of the Spirit comes to remind us of who our God is. Just like Jesus in the garden and on the cross and just like Paul in his sufferings. And I think that's why it's so important. Paul calls this the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you think with me, fruit takes time to grow. There's growing seasons. But there's bare seasons too, right? You go to a fruit tree, you're going to find a fruit tree without fruit sometimes. And sometimes we're going through those, those bare times, but what we know is if we stay connected to the vine, the fruit will grow again. Not because we do anything, but because that's what the vine does. It produces fruit. I don't know if it's true or if it's a fable, but it's, it's been said that somewhere in England there was a, a very large marble headstone and an acorn fell right next to it. If you think of an acorn, how easily a, an acorn would be crushed by a marble, piece of marble. Sometimes we feel like acorns going up against things that we'll never be able to push out of the way. But they said about 70 years after that acorn fell, the marble headstone cracked. 
as a giant oak tree pushed it until it couldn't withstand the pressure anymore. So like, you may only have an acorn right now. You may have an acorn of goodness. A little bit. Okay. Stay connected to the vine. Let the vine do what the vine does. In the branches, we just bear the fruit. We just stay connected to Jesus. And as we stay connected to Jesus, Jesus begins to change who we are. And while we might still look at the acts of the flesh and go, yeah, sometimes I still fall there, hopefully we'll be able to see the fruit of the Spirit that's like, yes, there's more and more and more of this, not in prideful way, but there's more and more and more of this growing in my life just as I stay connected to the vine. Fruit of the Spirit is all about the Spirit making us more like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I man, 